Thank you, Bill. Bill's sponsor told him he had to stay up here with me. He wanted to leave. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to be here. I've never been to Camp Monroe, and when when uh, he was asked uh, by all the people who had not been here to stand up, I didn't stand up. I was back here applauding for all the people who hadn't been here before. I, I guess I feel that much at home here. And I do. These are the kind of places I like to be. Uh, I'm fortunate enough that I, I get to a lot of AA get-togethers, and this is the kind that I prefer. I, I don't like big get-togethers that I can't get acquainted with people. I like AA people. There, <clears throat> I've heard about Camp Monroe uh, ever since I've been in AA. I've heard, and it's on the program, that this is a spiritual retreat, <clears throat> and it says on the program that this is a, an 11-step retreat. And I got down here yesterday, and I'm sure that by this afternoon I had the committee convinced that they had the right speaker. I've been walking around real slow with my head bowed, and every now and then you'd hear me say, Oh, Lord. And they just knew they'd got the right man. And what they didn't know, I pulled my back out lifting a suitcase yesterday morning. And that's the reason for my monkish look. Uh, you see me riding up and down the road. I would ride to the bathroom if I could get the car in there. Uh, but I am glad to be here. I'm glad to be anywhere today, and I'm glad to be sober. And it's, it's people like you that, that helped me do that. I came into to AA in as possibly as bad a shape as anyone could have been in, but it took me a long time to get there. Uh, another thing I thought about those bees back here, it's, it, I have read someplace that years ago doctors used bees for people who had arthritis and uh, back problems, and they deliberately stung them, and God may have put me back here... <laughs> Uh, this may be a healing retreat, but I don't know. <laughs> if, if one should crawl up my leg and, and sting me, if I start talking in a language that the clergy don't know, uh, don't think I'm having a spiritual experience. <laughs> if, I, I've had mine. And it didn't hurt. Uh, I don't think that my story is really any different than than most alcoholics that I've heard uh, in AA meetings and, and wherever I've heard alcoholics speak. I don't think that I'm very different from any any alcoholic in this room. I, I believe some things that you may not believe. We all have different theories. And if I say anything that's contrary to your thinking, please don't take that personal. We all work this program uh, as it seems to apply to us. I believe in everything that's in that big book in the 12 and 12. I have never, ever, from the day one, found any argument with anything that's there. I have, we all have theories about why we're alcoholic, when we became alcoholic, uh, where that invisible line is that we may believe we've crossed over. I had a good friend from mine, uh, of mine from Canada who has helped me in a lot of, of ways, but he, he spoke down at, uh, at Myrtle Beach not too long ago, and he settled that issue for me. He said he knew he didn't have that question any longer. He knew exactly when that time was, and he knew exactly where that invisible line was, and, and it was the same way with me. It was the first drink I ever took, and the line is somewhere right across here. As soon as it crossed that line, I was alcoholic. Uh, I got drunk my first time when, when I was 13 years old. I remember it vividly. But I was wearied before then. I had a lot of isms, if that's the correct word. I, 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 I didn't like to do things that other children my age did. Uh, I don't think I stood out that much in that respect because I tried to to comply, but 
I didn't feel the way that I felt that, that they acted. I, I didn't seem to want the things they did. I drove teachers plumb out of their mind in, in school. I would do exceptionally well one year, and the next year I would, uh, I simply wouldn't do anything. And I've been handled all different kind of ways. When I got old enough that they could do it, they would expel me uh, from school. And I would demand to be let back in, uh, and they would let me back in, and I would quit going. They'd come and get me and make me go back. And uh, it was just a, a running battle with a truant officer and my parents uh, constantly. There was a time that, uh, and I didn't attend school on a regular basis. That was one of the big problems. Uh, at one time, I, I had almost a perfect attendance record one year. And plunked every course completely, just zapped all the way through. And the powers that be, someone saw my attendance record and saw my final test and whatnot for that year, and they wanted to find out uh, what happened. Could it be the school's fault? How can a guy stay here every day and hasn't gained anything? And so they tested me, and I tested up about second year of college, and they skipped me a grade. The, the teacher who had originally held me back that year, she'd been teaching for 30-some years, and she quit teaching because of that. So I created a lot of disturbance before I ever started drinking. I ran away from home when I was 12 years old. Don't let people ever tell you they never met a, a dumb alcoholic. You, you're, you're listening to one. Uh, I live in Roanoke, Virginia. And I decided I was going to Norfolk, so I got on my bicycle and started to Norfolk. And I was 12 years old, and they didn't have 10-speed bikes either. Uh, and I got 25 miles down the road. My father had found out that I'd run away. Uh, I told some of the other kids, I suppose, and, and, and I intended to go. I intended to go and not come back. And I couldn't tell you now, except running from myself, why I did that, but... The only way he could get any help in, in finding me was go to the juvenile authorities, and he had to swear out a warrant for me. Uh, I got to Bedford, and I decided I had another 225 miles to go, and this wasn't the way to get it. And I tried to sell the bicycle, and the first kid I approached was the sheriff's son. And they locked me in the bicycle up, my daddy come and got me. But <clears throat> this sounds like my drunk law. I haven't took a drink yet. But it did start kind of early. I got drunk with some, some old boys in a city park one evening on some store-bought cheap wine, and we had a lot of it. Uh, some of the boys uh, rode bicycles and delivered for a drugstore, and we got a bunch of wine. And it, This did not make an impression on me at the time. It does now because it's so vivid in my mind, and my memory has been slipping for years, but this stands out. And I didn't recognize any of it until after I'd gotten sober. That several of those boys got sick that night, as I did. We all got sick off of that warm, cheap wine. And several of them probably haven't had a drink to this day. We were terribly sick. But I recall that as soon as I could quit throwing up and my eyes would quit watering, uh, I would start drinking again that same evening. Uh, Another thing that happened that uh, makes me believe that I was instantly a compulsive drinker, I woke up the next morning, I lived about a block from that park, and I woke up very early in the morning, about as sick as a human being can be, and without anyone having to tell me, I sneaked out of the house and went back over in that park and found that wine that we had left and drank it. I knew intuitively that that would help, and it did. And I don't think there's ever been a time since when I drank that I didn't want the morning drink or the afternoon drink or whenever I came to again. So I believe for myself that that I was an instant alcoholic. I don't think there was anything that's ever happened in my life following that evening that alcohol didn't play a part in it. I came, became obsessed with alcohol. I didn't want to go anywhere that alcohol wouldn't be present, and I usually wouldn't go. If I couldn't take something to drink or you couldn't promise me that something would be there, I didn't intend to go. 
I didn't go to football games, baseball games, parties, if there was not anything to drink there. Uh, and that continued on as long as I drank. Of course, I was young, and, and I could hold it, and I didn't get into any serious trouble. <clears throat> I went into the Army very, very young. Uh, I did everything very young. I started drinking young. I got, a, I got my first driver's permit the same year and bought an automobile, and I was 13 years old. My father owned a barber shop, and he'd start teaching me to barber when I was 11 years old. And when I was 13, I could work on my own. And I would go to school when they would allow me and when I wanted to. But I could work down, it was in the downtown section, and it was a tremendous Saturday business there. And I could work down there on Saturday and make more money than any 25 kids that I knew uh, got for an allowance. Uh, I had too much money. And I bought an old car. I got a driver's license. Had a lot of friends. I bought a a big Packard 120 town car, uh, a, a 36 model. It was as long as this stage, and I could put about 12 people in it, and that's generally what was in it. I had the money, and I had the car. There were places that I could get the beer, and uh, I was just what I wanted to be. I was the center of attention. I was everyone's friend, uh, and I liked that. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I had an uncle, had a couple of uncles and several cousins who were <clears throat> who were in the produce business, and I had made trips with them, and I liked that. I liked driving the truck and getting around the country. Thought that was pretty romantic, and having made several trips with them had nothing to do with buying or selling. I thought I knew the produce business, and when I was fourteen, I bought a truck. Uh, it went into the produce business. And that was a typical alcoholic business venture, even at, at 14. I, I didn't know anything about what I was doing except I liked to drive that truck. And I drove it up and down the road, and I would, I would look into making some money on a load. And that would assure me that I knew what I was doing. I came down here to North Wilkesboro one time and bought a load of apples and took them up to Winchester, Virginia. And tried to sell them. Uh, Win- Winchester's about like uh, Yakima, Washington. That's all they do up there is raise apples. Uh, I used to come down this part of the country and buy peaches and, and cantaloupes, and I would go leave here and go back and, and hit all the mill villages and, and retail them off the back of the truck. Unless I got with some people to, to drink with or fool around with, and, uh, and they'd just sit in the truck and rot. Uh, I took Sally through uh, Mill Village uh, up in Troutman's, North Carolina, a couple of months or a couple of weeks ago, and we were coming through there and showed her a street that I had let the tailgate down and, and took off in low gear and unloaded a truckload of rotten, rotten cantaloupes right down that street in that Mill Village up there. One day I decided that the reason I wasn't making any money with that truck, that it wasn't large enough. And I went to a large garage there that my father had dealt with, and the garage is still there. I deal with them now. But they were going to extend the bed on the truck so I could rot more cantaloupes, I guess. But I left the truck there to have the work done, and I walked back downtown. And I passed by a recruiting office, and I decided that looked like a romantic thing to do, and I went in and, and uh, thought I'd joined the Air Force, and I left town that night. I've never seen that truck since then. I don't know what happened to the truck. In the meantime, I had bought a barbershop, uh, and, I, and I left town that night and left the barbershop. Luckily, there was a, one of the fellows who was working with me, for me at the time. He stayed on around the place while I was in the service. But that's the way I did everything. I did what I wanted to do. I had no responsibility, drunk or sober. I simply did what I felt that I wanted to do. Uh, I went into the service. I was too young, but I enjoyed it. And that's always been a, a strange thing in my mind, that having had no discipline at all, uh, that I enjoyed the discipline of the service. My family were very loving people. The, the discipline wasn't strict. There was no drinking in my family. They weren't adverse to drinking. They simply didn't drink. They did show affection, uh, my mother and my father. I lost my 
mother when I was when I was fairly young, before I went in the service. But my father was a very affectionate man, uh, and there was no drinking there, as I said. But I, I had been drinking three years when I went in the service. I was I, I could drink by then. I was a seasoned drinker when I went in the service, and. It was just after World War II, and I got into an old line infantry outfit that all the NCOs had been in since back in the 30s. They'd been in the Philippines and Panama, and they'd been through World War II, and it was a tremendous amount of drinking. I'm sure a lot of alcoholics in that outfit, and I got right in with them, and I was just a kid, and I was accepted by these people simply because I drank the way they did. There were other young people in the outfit, and they were not accepted, except as buck privates. They immediately, out of basic training, they made me a corporal so I could go to the NCO club with them. I, I honest to God, didn't know what a corporal was supposed to do, but they made me one. Uh, the, my company commander was a drunk. All the officers were drunks. The first sergeant was a drunk. I couldn't get into any trouble. Uh, it was impossible. If I overstayed a, a weekend pass... They covered for me, and I covered for them, and that's the way it was. And I liked that army. That army was a fine, fine thing. It, it, uh, they paid me, and, and I, I was still a kid. I'd get out there and run around and play soldier all day and run up and down them hill. I found out when I come out of basic that I wasn't in the Air Force. Uh, <laughs> they, they, there was the Army Air Force then, and rec- recruiting sergeants would tell you anything. And... He, he told me when I, I had to take infantry basic and to be sure and notify him when I got through with my basic that I was in the Air Force, and I did. <laughs> and uh, it didn't make a big impression on him. I stayed stayed in the infantry, but I, but I did like it. I could go to town, drink all night, and get out there and run around shooting off blanks all day just like I did playing cowboys and Indians back, you know, when I was a little younger. And uh, enjoyed it. Had a big time. Uh, in fact, I intended to stay in the service, but... Having got a long way from home and having never been able to get enough money to make the trip home, when my discharge date come due, I'd never been home. And uh, I decided I would come home and take advantage of that 90 days. I'd come home and and then re-enlist. And come home, got to drinking, and let the 90 days go by. And couldn't get my rank back. I, did, I was a sergeant by then. And... Uh, so I tried some more jobs. I didn't like that barbering business and never had, but it was a nice place to, I owned the place and I could go in there and drink at night. If you, if you're really down and out, you know, there was various things in a barber shop that you can drink. Uh, it, uh, it, if you get it like you do in a barber shop in Gallon Joe, don't, you get caught out and try to get some when you need a drink real bad. You know, one of them, and one of them shaker bottles and trying to lap it up like a dog. Now that gets, that gets old when you need a drink bed. But I tried a lot of jobs, uh, various plants, different places I worked. Never was happy with any job that I ever had. Never could find a place that I even considered staying. Didn't get fired, I just didn't stay with them that long. Uh, in my case, it seemed lucky at the time that a year, Almost a year to the day from the time I was discharged, the Korean War broke out and I was immediately recalled. And again, I liked the Army. I was back with a bunch of people that I could drink the way I wanted to drink and I could get away with it. That was, I had the John Wayne syndrome, you know, this is the way that men behave. And I was certainly a man and I I liked it. And again, I intended to stay in. I did well, even with the drinking and the, and the foul-ups that I did. Uh, uh, I did well in the Army. Uh, I was warranted. Uh, I'd met Sally and was dating Sally during that year I was out. And during this enlistment, uh, we got married. And she didn't like the Army. She went back with me, and she really didn't like the Army. So when the time came that I could accept a discharge, I did. Came back to Roanoke and again, uh, had that little old barbershop, had some security, uh, but I couldn't find anything that I wanted to do. Worked on the railroad in Norfolk at one time and I liked that, but I didn't like the town. I quit, came back, worked Firestone Corporation. Had some pretty darn decent jobs that could have worked into something better, but I wasn't happy and <clears throat> the drinking continually more and more. 
We've been married five years, and the drinking was pretty heavy during those five years. We didn't have any children during that period of time, and we had a lot of fun. We went to a lot of parties. We were young. We knew a lot of people, and I drank constantly. Uh, Sally didn't say too much about my drinking. It was it was a normal, I suppose, for me, and she accepted it that way. I never could teach her to drink. Every time I'd think I had her talk, she'd puke. And she just, she, I don't think she ever did really try. Uh, but the drinking, looking back on it, the drinking did increase drastically during those five years. I had one thing, and I, and I, that would keep me from drinking. I, I could fly, and I had a, a, a little airplane, and that thing was almost like a, a spiritual experience to me. I loved it that much. And that's the only thing that I ever have known of in my life that would keep me from drinking. If I knew, if I intended to fly the next day, I could go to a party and walk around with a Coca-Cola all night and not drink and not miss it if I knew I was going to fly. But the day came when I did fly drinking, and from then on, that, that killed that. I never attempted to not drink again. When we'd been married five years, I went back with the railroad in Roanoke. My daughter was born that year. Uh, I knew that she was going to be born that day. I knew my wife was being taken to the hospital that day, and her sister had sent me after something, and I came back three days later, which was normal for me. But that was the story of my life. If I needed to be somewhere and needed to be sober, I was always someplace else, and I was always drunk. I didn't know whether I had a boy or a girl for three days, simply because they had sent me to the store to get something, I think, to get me out of the house. But I found something on the railroad that I had had in the Army. I found some people there who drank the way I did. And I went on the railroad as a in train service as a brakeman. And there's a certain amount of freedom there, a certain lack of supervision or direct supervision. Uh, that I could drink on and off the job and get away with it. It just simply wasn't anything mentioned about it, although there were, were very strong rules about it. So it never entered my mind not to drink simply because I was had to go to work. Uh, I liked the railroad, uh, but I simply couldn't assume responsibility, not for my wife, not for my children. Bought a house, uh, did almost all the normal things that most people do, but once I did them, I wouldn't be responsible for them. I never took care of the house. I didn't take care of the mortgage payments. And as things went along, and I got to the place where I couldn't get to work, and losing time from work, the, the financial situation got worse. Uh, Sally had to work, uh, but we we drifted along. But it, it, it was an ever-increasing thing from... The time I was 13 years old until I quit drinking 30 years later, it, it was a constant progressive thing. It never slacked off, slowed down, or reached a plateau where everything went well. It was constantly getting worse. The year I went to work on the railroad, I, I lost my driver's license for the first time. Uh, that's not really right. I lost them for the only time. I didn't get them back for 21 years. Uh, I never did get enough good time. Uh, but, you know... One time, one time I did, one time I got a letter. In Virginia at that time, you lose your permit for a year. Uh, you had to carry uh, signed risk insurance for three years. And I just never paid any attention to it, but I got a letter one time that my whole four years was up. I didn't need the insurance. All I had to do was go down and, and take a test and get a permit. And we were leaving town for something, Sally and I, and uh, she wanted me to get the permit. And I said, well, I'll, I'll get it on the way out of town. Well, on the way out of town, uh, naturally I was drunk. Uh, I went by to run by to pick up my permit, and they gave me a questionnaire. And I hadn't looked at a book since I was 13 years old, and I didn't know they changed the laws and, and things. And uh, had 40 questions on it, and I got two of them right. And the man said, "Well, Mister Eller, don't worry about it because you have to have a road test, and there's not a person in here would ride around the block with you today." So. I never did bother to go back again. Uh, and never, I drove, I drove every day, but getting back to that expense, I got caught a lot, had a lot of lawyer's fees, a lot of bail bondsman's fees, a lot of fine, a lot of wrecks. Uh, never owned a car that I didn't wreck. 
Uh, and if they would still run, I'd wreck that one again. But uh, every car I ever had, it you know, it looked like a drunk car. And you know something, knock on wood, I have never put a scratch on a car sober to this day. I'll do it on the way home now that I've said that, but I never have. I've never had an accident. Something else that's unusual about me, I've never had a ticket. Never. Started driving when I was 13 years old, I'm 56, and I've never had a ticket. They just took me to jail. They never, ever wrote me a ticket, not one night. If they'd come up and started giving me a parking ticket and I was there, took me to jail. Uh, but things got worse. It got worse in every category. It got worse financially, domestically, between my wife and I, between my children. Uh, we had, a, as I said, a little girl. Eight years later, we had a son. Uh, I think I was drunk for eight years, the reason for that gap in there. Uh, but I wasn't the father that that I needed to be. I wasn't the father I wanted to be. I wanted to be a good father. I wanted to be a provider. I wanted to be a good man. I liked the company that I worked for, and, and I liked the job I was doing, and I wanted to do good at it. Booze would not allow me to do that, and I couldn't leave the booze alone. It never entered my mind that I couldn't leave it alone. I used all the excuses there. Anyone, I can quit any time. If I drink too much, it's because of her. Uh, I still think that sometimes, but <laughs> but she alanons me out of that. Uh, but I, I used all the things that, that that. Sure, I've got problems, but drinking is not it. And treatment centers they call that denial. What it means is the son of a gun don't want to quit drinking. That's all. I didn't want to quit drinking. I would have done anything to straighten my life out. I would have done anything to stay sober, except quit drinking. I wasn't willing to do that. And everything continually got worse. Uh, Sally got to leaving. We all developed patterns. She had a large family. She had sisters who were crazy about her, and, and, and like me, uh, but they knew what was happening. And she would take the kids and go home to Mama. And they wouldn't let me know which sister she was at, you know. She'd say... I'd start calling, but I had to get a hold of her to start making those promises, and I couldn't get a hold of her. And finally, I would get her, and I would convince her that I had quit drinking, for God's sake, come home. And she wanted to come home, and she wanted me to quit drinking, and she wanted to believe it, and I was sincere because I believed it myself, and she came home. It wouldn't be three days I'd talk her into going to the liquor store, and she'd say, I thought you quit drinking. I have. But I'm mowing the lawn, and I'm just going to mix one one drink. Well, okay, how much you want? Get five fifths. <laughs> but she wanted to believe, and I was convinced myself. You know, I, I wanted if I wanted to drink, but I wanted to drink like other people I had seen. I'm like. Bill Hollingsworth said, someone asked him if he ever wanted to drink like a gentleman, and he thought it over, and he said, I don't believe I was ever close one to enough to know what he drank like. But I saw these pictures on the back of magazines, and a guy leaning up against the mantel and a setter dog in a jacket, and, and that's the way I wanted to drink. I usually did it in the car, you know, with a hot bottle out from under the seat in my work clothes, but I wanted to do it. The other way. I used to get those Southern Comfort books, the recipe books, you know. Built a bar one time. I built a beautiful bar out of mahogany. Stocked that booger. Put, went to a place that sold expensive stuff. Bought all the glasses. Some of them I didn't even know what they were for, but they were in that book. And I bought all the glasses. And I bought all the booze. I bought vodka and brandy and some that I didn't even know about. And I got that thing all stocked up and I said, I can drink like that gentleman. And I cracked one of them. And it didn't come out of that room until it was all gone. And I never stocked it again. I went through it in a week. Never came out of the room. I tried all the things that we all that we all try. And I could convince her time after time. And we got to be sort of hermits in our own home, you know. We didn't go anywhere anymore. We didn't go to those parties. Uh, the bill collectors were after us, and we kept the blinds drawn, and we kept the shades drawn. And you kept the radio turned down real low, so if they knocked on the door, that, they, you know, you just didn't answer the door. 
We didn't answer the telephone. She was tired of talking to those people. I was scared to talk to them. I, I'm, I'm, I can see the picture of her and I sitting in that living room and someone knocking at the door and the telephone rang and we're both sitting there. Just don't do anything. I tried to rig a thing on my front stoop one time like having a filling station. You know how you run in to ring a bell? And I wanted to know when they were. See, none of the friends were coming anymore. If somebody came out, but I wanted to know so I could get quiet. Uh, I tried to mount a rear view mirror, I mean an outside mirror on the corner of the house so I could see who was on the front stoop. I got the thing so it would work under a mat, but you had to stomp on it and then they just normally don't come up and stomp on and make it ring. But I was scared. I was constantly afraid. They were repossessing cars. They were constantly trying to take my house away from me. We lived in that house for 25 years. When I bought the place, I took a second mortgage on it for four years. Hadn't paid it off when I sold it 25 years later. They were constantly trying to take that house. And Sally got like most anyone who lives with an alcoholic. She got so she didn't care, you know. She took care of the kids. But that's all. She didn't care about me. She didn't care what she looked like. I broke my leg one time and I was in a cast. I was drunk. You know, it wasn't anything dramatic. I was going to an outside Johnny house and fell down and broke my leg. Uh, but I broke it bad, and I was in a cast for a year, and I laid there drunk. There was a time Sally used to say, I'd, I'd hear her telling her friend, I wouldn't mind Jerry's drinking, but he, he, he won't drink at home. He goes out and he wrecks cars and he gets in trouble. I wouldn't mind him drinking if he would stay home. That year cured that. That, you know... <laughs> I wouldn't mind him drinking if he'd get the hell out of here somewhere and go do it. But I couldn't get out, and I just laid there, and I drank. Had a good excuse for not taking the bath in. I hadn't been doing it, but then I had an excuse. Uh, the reason I was in the cast so long, I kept falling down and breaking the cast. Uh, I never did learn to walk on crutches. And I'd get tangled up in a dining room with six chairs and them two crutches and table legs, and it'd take two people an hour to just get me untangled and get me out of there. And uh, I'd fall in the bathtub over backwards and crack that thing, and they'd drag me back out and put a new cast on it. But I was in a mess, and I couldn't see that. I could see her. She looked like that old Carol Burnett doing that mop woman thing. You know, that's true. She, She'd come slicing through the house, you know, in that old bathrobe with her buttons missing and her hair. And I'd lay there and think, oh, girl, you're going to lose me. You don't, you know. And I, <laughs> I believe that. You know, this, this is a jewel you got laying here, baby. And, you know, if you don't straighten up. Get this cast off, baby. I'm gone. You know? and it was bad. They 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 come and cut things off. I went and had a tea wrench made just to cut the water back on. You know, just they'd come turned off and before the truck was out of sight. I'd go cut it back on. I'd pipe around the gas meter, run extension line next door, uh, and they didn't know it. They, all they knew their their light bill went up. You know. Uh, Sally loved to have a telephone. She wouldn't answer, but she liked to call out. And they were constantly taking the telephone out. Uh, and I was constantly in jail. I went to, I've been in a lot of jails. I started going to jail back there as a kid in the Army. First time I was ever in jail. Same old thing. I woke up, had no idea where I was at. Man, and I asked the jailer where I'm at, and he said, Portland. And I said, Maine or Oregon. I had no idea where I was at. I've been in jail for everything from just simple walking down the street, drunk to manslaughter, for wrecks, for you name it. I, I made a lot of jail. Uh, I put one bond woman's two kids through college there and run up. Finally, one day, after 17 years on that railroad, I put them in a spot one night where they could not overlook it any longer. And the man relieved me of duty and told me to get off the right-of-way. That's the normal procedure on the railroad. I'm asking you to leave the right-of-way, and you're relieved of duty for violation of Rule G, which is drinking on the job. And that's there's only one penalty for that on the railroad, and that's dismissal. The railroad is not like a lot of places. They can't 
fire you out of hand. You have a right to a formal investigation. It's sort of like a trial. You can have your own witnesses and your own representative. And But I knew they were going to fire me. They had me dead to right. They uh, didn't offer me a blood test. They had witnesses. I was totally drunk. Uh, and they set up the investigation. And for some reason that I couldn't explain, I did not want to go to that investigation drinking. I wanted to go down there looking the best I could. And I couldn't get sober to go to the investigation. I'd have it postponed, and they would demand to have it the next time, and I would get drunk, and I'd use another excuse. Uh, and, and a couple of times, I just didn't show up. Everybody was there in the investigating room except the star, and I'm home laying in the living room floor drunk. When I thought about going down there, I'd get nervous and had to take a drink, and I ended up drunk. I finally asked a doctor to put me in a hospital, not a treatment center, a, just a general hospital. And he put me in there and he kept me asleep for 10 days, practically constantly for 10 days, uh, and dried me out. They pumped me full of vitamins and glucose and all that sort of stuff. And when I woke up, the, the, the detox period was over. And I called him real quick and said, let's have the investigation. And I went down there. And, of course, I was dismissed. But the man told me, Jerry, you've been a good man and we don't want to lose you, but we can't let you stay here the way you drink. If you can find a way to stop drinking, we would like someday to get you back on this railroad. And, honest to God, I believed all the time that I had said that I can take it or leave it. I said, okay, that's simple. I'm sober now. I simply won't take a drink. You know, it's a cakewalk. It's no big deal. I made it less than a month. The book tells us that we have no defense against that first drink. First time that I heard that in an AA meeting, I read it at home, I don't recall which, I knew that for a fact. I walked into a restaurant one day and ran into an old friend who was on his lunch break, and he was drinking a beer, and he ordered me a beer. Nothing told me. And I'd known for years if I drank anything, I was going to get drunk. I didn't consider that alcoholism, but I knew if I drank, I, I got drunk. And he ordered me a beer, and I drank it. It was that simple. Nothing came to my defense. Nothing told me you've got to stay sober if you want your job back. Nothing told me you're feeling good for the first time in years. Uh, you don't have a hangover, and you're not sick. And this will crank it all up again. Nothing. I simply drank the beer. He went on back to lunch, and I drank several more. And I went and bought a pint. It was in the same uh, building complex. I sat there in the car and drank a pint, and I walked back in and bought five fists, and I stayed drunk for 18 months. I don't recall much of that 18 months. I know I was in jail twice more and convicted of drunk driving. I was in jail several times during that 18 months. I tried to work at what drunks do. I tried to paint. I mowed yards. I cut hedges. Uh, part of that conning that ever drunk, uh, I, I would... Not get totally drunk, but I was always drinking, and and I put myself off as a expert on shrubbery, and and I got a bunch of Latin names that may have applied to your kidneys. For all I know, I have no idea what they meant, but I had sense enough to know that homeowners didn't either, and they would ask me about their plants, and I'd tell them what it was, and tell them that needs pruning, and you leave that one alone, and I'd chop that nut and kill it, I guess, and and. But they paid me for it, and I, and I drank. I, but most of that 18 months uh, is pretty much of a, uh, of a blank. I got an uh, unemployment check one day. Went and cashed a check to the liquor store. Went to a friend's house and, and drank all day long. Tried to make it back home that night and had another wreck and ended up in jail. And this time they had about seven different charges. I lost my glasses in the wreck. I had them all stuck in my pocket when I came to in jail, but I didn't know what I was in there for. They had me in a cell. It was a seven-man cell, and they had 14 men in it. And I wasn't... I had to sign up for one of the bunks when my time come. But I, I don't think, I'm sure, I'd never been in DTs before. I had hallucinated and heard all the music and all of that. That was a normal thing. I've been hearing that music for for 20 years. Enjoyed it. I could change stations. I could. Uh, I, could. I could pick up the big bands and uh, heard it constantly. Uh, 
and I saw a lot of things. Uh, I honestly, most time that didn't scare me. I thought it was amusing the things that I watched happen, uh, just laying on the living room couch and watching all kind of things go on there that wasn't there. Somehow I always knew they weren't there. But I, I did go into DTs in that jail. They didn't have any what we call cowhide back home, peraldehyde. Uh, they didn't have any. They did have some next Tuesday. That was Wednesday. And they, they won't give you a drink. And I, and I honestly believe I damn near died in that thing. They had a picnic table bolted down. And they had me under there. And three are sitting on each side with their feet on me. And, and I would go in the crane. It was, I could spend the week describing that week that I stood in there. But for the first time, I couldn't get that help that I'd always been able to rely on. That's somebody that I could always, there was always somebody left that I could call on. Sally wouldn't get me out this time. I had a lawyer who had gotten me out many times. They let me call. Uh, he said, come see him when I did get out, but he didn't offer to help me out. That Bonds woman, first time I'd ever heard this from a person other than my family, she said, Jerry, I love you, and I'm not going to get you out of jail. And I thought, that's a hell of a thing to tell me, you know. But she didn't, and I couldn't get out. So I went through that for a year. That's the sickest, most horrible thing that I've ever lived through. And I, and I, I believe it can kill you. But someone did, after seven days, it came out down and went in my barn. And I was filthy. I'd been sleeping on that floor. I hadn't shaved, hadn't washed anything for that week. I'd been in jail. And the first thing I asked him when we got in his car, have you got another five dollars? And he took me to the liquor store, and I couldn't even get back to the car. I opened it up on the sidewalk in front of the liquor store and stood there drinking. And I knew then that I was as low as a human being can get, but I couldn't stop. He took me home, and my family wasn't there. This was a brother-in-law, and he gave me the message that he'd been sent with. Sally is not here and the kids are not here, but that's not the way it's going to be this time. You are to get your stuff and get out. They are staying here in the house, but you can no longer stay here. I called about eight friends and asked them if I could come and stay. I had made myself so obnoxious to so many people, there wasn't a drunk in the city of Rono that would take me in. The fellow who I'd been drinking with the night of the day of that wreck... He's a bachelor, he's got an eight-room house, and he told me his mother-in-law was sick, and I couldn't come over and stay with him. Uh, I didn't have any place to go, except to just go sleep in the street. Sally allowed me to stay. We didn't have any communication, and I was sleeping on the couch, and she didn't give me any directions to how to get to the bedroom either. But when I woke up the next morning in the floor... I knew that I had to quit drinking. I knew that I was dying. I knew that I had to quit drinking, and I didn't know how. I'd tried to stop, and that hadn't worked. But I knew I had to, and I didn't take a drink. That was the last thing I drank. And I think Sally saw something had changed. Something had changed in her. There was no more hysterics, no more screaming, no more. We got an unemployment check, and she said, Jerry, why don't you take this check and go as far as you can go? You know with your record, the judge says he's going to give you a year in jail. Why don't you just leave? I don't think they would look for you. But I didn't go, and she didn't put me out, and I didn't take a drink. And I went for 90 days without taking a drink. We postponed the trial, and and the judge told my lawyer several times he's going to jail for a year. The first first week in, in January 1974... My company, the Norfolk Western Railroad, initiated what they called an alcoholic rehabilitation service. They simply made up their mind and came to the conclusion that they were losing too many darn good men from alcoholism. They were simply firing them, and that was it. And they didn't want to lose all these men. I'd been fired for a year and a half, and I didn't know whether that applied to me at all, but I thought I'd make a stab at it, and I called them. And they sent me to see a man, and there was a brand new thing, his office wasn't even open, I went to his home. And I really thought that it was some sort of a sick joke. When he opened the door, it was a nice home, but when he opened the door, I recognized the man that I knew as a drunk. 
He was on a different division. But if anything, he was as bad as I was. And, and this was a, you know, really floored me. But he invited me in, and we spent the whole afternoon together, and he told me about himself, and I didn't know. He wasn't a personal friend. I'd just been around him. He'd been sober for seven years. And his story paralleled mine. He'd been fired from the railroad, all the wrecks, all the troubles that I'd had. But he hadn't drank for seven years. And he told me that he was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the first human being who ever, ever mentioned the words Alcoholics Anonymous to me. And he asked me if I would give it a try. And I told him I had quit drinking. And he was the first man who understood that. He said, Jerry, I know you're not lying. I know you don't want to drink. But I also know you can't not drink. He called a friend and that man and his wife came and took me to my first meeting that night. He's been my sponsor ever since that night. She has since passed away. But the two of them were as close to me from even from day one as, as two human beings can be. But what changed my life was when I walked into my first meeting that night and saw you people. You people changed me. You people made me want to come back. You people were standing around drinking coffee and laughing and joking, and I hadn't been able to do that for years. You told me that you were drunks like I myself was. And But you weren't in the misery that I was in. And you told me that I could have what you had. And I couldn't wait to get back the next night. I didn't know anything about the program. wasn't really interested in the program. I simply wanted to be next to you. And I came back, and I came back, and I came back, and I kept waiting to lose interest. I'd always lost interest in anything I'd ever done in my life. And that scared me. I didn't want to, but I knew it was going to happen. That's over 12 years ago, and I've not lost that interest. I'm in more enthused about AA and, and more in love with you people than I was that night. But that attraction of you people is what brought me back. I think it's what brings in in you. It wasn't the fear of drinking again. I was beyond that, you know. I was at a bottom. There was nowhere else to go. I didn't have a job. I had a trial coming up that I'd been promised a year in jail. I was in bankruptcy. They were selling my house on the courthouse steps. I hadn't had a driver's license for 21 years. I had cirrhosis. I had pancreatitis. I was 35 pounds underweight. And my hair was falling out. And I had no, nothing with my wife or my, my children. It was all gone. Everything. You people were the only thing that offered me hope. You were the only people that told me that things could change. And I believed you. I believed you. And whatever you said do, I was ready to do it. The only thing I brought with me was a willingness. And that's all I needed. You provided the rest. I certainly didn't have a God. There, didn't, there had been no nothing spiritual in my life for years. I was raised in the church. I'd gotten away from that years ago. I believed that there was some supreme being someplace. But I had no conscious contact with that being. You told me I needed to make a contact. I didn't pray. You told me that I should. And I did. And that prayer was answered. I simply prayed and asked, don't let anything happen to me to get me drunk until I can find what it is you people have. And he gave me that. With all the problems, I didn't worry about it. I simply went to meeting. And things began to change. I got my family back. I even got to keep that house. I got, seven months later, I was reinstated on the railroad as a conductor with all my rights and seniority restored. There were so many things that came back that it scared me, you know. I walked my daughter down the aisle in a big church wedding, a six months sober. That was a wedding that had been planned for a year, and I wasn't even on the list. They didn't want me to be there. But I was able to give her away, you know. And I'm very, very close to my daughter and my son and my grandchildren. These are things that I had lost. A few years later, uh, I was offered an appointment with this alcoholic rehabilitation service, with the railroad, and was able to accept it. And I have the privilege of driving, traveling all over a territory of that railroad 
simply talking to other alcoholics and attending AA meetings. Now, that ain't bad and getting paid for it, you know. Uh, it could only have happened, all these things could only have happened uh, by this God that you gave me, by the power that that God has allowed me to use, by the fellowship of this magic of Alcoholics Anonymous. We talk a lot about gratitude. It would be totally impossible for me to tell anyone how grateful I am. It's there. It's a part of me, the gratitude that I feel. And it's directed toward you people because you, you're the conduit. You, you're the people that did. You know, God didn't come and, and, and bring me a message. He brought it through you and, and, and still does. It can't work without you. Whatever you do, then that's going to be reflected in what people like I do when we come to you. That's it. That's the whole story. I thank this committee and these people for asking me to be here. I would like to be invited back next year just to be a part of this thing. And then I won't have to wear a tie and my back won't hurt. And I can be a part of sitting out there. Thank you very much. Jerry, we want to thank you for a mighty fine, mighty fine AA story. And the committee of Camp Monroe wants you to have this memento so that you will always remember us. Thank you. If not, you're going to leave me by myself then. With the bees. If there is nothing further, as soon as Jerry gets settled, let's all stand, join hands, and pray together the Lord's Prayer.